I love those songs, and that song, He Will Hold Me Fast, one of my favorite of the newer ones that we sing. I remember it was that first Sunday morning of the whole thing, and remember, this is going to be two weeks, two weeks, that's all it was going to be, and we're nine months later down the road, aren't we? And, uh, but Jay and his kids sang that, and I was preoccupied just getting everything, it was weird doing an online service. I was trying to get in the zone to get ready to preach to a, to a I actually had my phone is what we were using at that time. And so I really missed the song and the words. But I remember when we first got back together, a few weeks in, Jay did that song. And uh, so many Christians get the idea that we have to hold on to God. So backwards. He holds on to us. That's, you can't ever lose sight of that. And so many, of, so many Christians get the wrong idea. I'm so glad that it's not dependent upon me. He holds me fast. And what a blessing that is. Especially tonight as we look, the book of Romans, if you want to go there, if you got your notes, we're just really getting going into this series. And as I mentioned, looking into the new year, unless the Lord comes next December, the last Sunday of December, a year from now, we will finish the book of Romans. It's going to be a long series, a long ways to go, but it is a great, powerful book. And you're going to start seeing tonight some things. We've gone through several things. We started last week, we had our church Christmas party. So we didn't get to continue there. But Paul opens up, gives his opening, talks about his authority as an apostle, gives a little background about himself. He talks about how he's ready to preach the gospel to them. And as he gets ready, and he says he's not ashamed of the gospel. And in that day and age, it wasn't the popular thing to preach the gospel. I don't think it's ever been a popular thing. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is important. And then we see, and we're going to look at it over the next several weeks, the fact that Paul starts explaining the wrath of God, where it comes from, why it's here, and goes through the guilt of man through the end of chapter number three. And then he'll start talking about how we get saved and continue on. But the wrath of God is real. Many Christians don't like to talk about it, but it is a proven fact. And the thing is, the Bible doesn't seek out to prove it. It merely states it as a reality. It's just like the Bible never tries to convince us that God exists. It just says that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's how it was. Like it or not, it's a reality. And in the beginning, the Word was made, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was right there the whole time. And the Bible doesn't go out to try and convince us, it just states the facts. And so the wrath of God is real. You say, well, God's a God of love. He is. But at the same time, he's a God of intense or immense wrath. His wrath is revealed in the world today and will be experienced in eternity. It's a real thing. And we see that in this passage. And some may wonder, why could a loving God also possess a nature of wrath? The answer is found in these verses that we're going to study tonight. And God tells us with the clearest of words why his wrath is kindled against the children of this world. And we'll see that right here tonight. Let's read verse 18 through verse 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. 
for they hath showed it unto them. For he hath showed it unto them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. But that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And we keep on reading through this chapter and you just see our world unfolding right before our very eyes. Um, you could look at verse number, number 25 where we see that they worship the creature more than the creator. That sounds like the state of California, doesn't it? We're worried about these little fishies and keeping them protected. And yet, it's against the law to go to church at the moment. It's amazing. In our society, we worship the creation more than the creator. We see later on in the chapter that God gives them over to vile affections. You think of homosexuality and how all of that comes into play. The Bible explains all of it detail for detail right here in this passage. And so tonight, we'll be in this passage for a few weeks, but I want to give you tonight the reasons for the wrath of God. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes that we have here tonight together. Help us. This is a good passage of Scripture here. It's deep and doctrinally rich. I pray that you would guide my thoughts and help me tonight as we go through this passage and help it be a blessing and a help in our lives. Help it to ground us in some of your truths and help us going forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For years I've debated on preaching through the book of Romans. The book of Romans is rich, deep. And one of the things that I always was hesitant on to preach through the book of Romans is one of the things you got to be able to do as a preacher of the gospel, you got to be able to take the deep doctrinal truths and be able to bring them to a level that people can understand. And so part of my growth, and if you can go back and listen to sermons from years ago today, I was talking to someone just the other day, and they were like, Pastor, I'm not going to give you a big head, but your preaching is so much better now than what it used to be. I'm like, thank you. I said, the funny thing is, the only difference is there's way more Bible and less Brian, and it used to be more Brian and less Bible. That's the difference in what's happened over time. And so, and that's the truth. We just need the Word of God. But this is, as we go through this series on the book of Romans, this is a challenge and work for me. This is help. This is sharpening my skills. And hopefully it'll be a blessing and a help to you because there's a lot of richness here. And we got to be able to dive in and get it. But tonight, what are the reasons for the wrath of God. Number one, the first reason is man's rebellion towards God. Man's rebellion towards God. We look at verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
We see, number one, man's rebellion towards God. This is one of the reasons for the wrath of God. We think of underneath that letter A, the fact, the nature of man's sin. Man is ungodly by nature and by choice. This means that man, when he comes into this world, does not have a relationship with God, when you think about that. Because he has no relationship with God, his relationship with fellow man is also destroyed. Because if you can't love God, you cannot love your neighbor as you're supposed to. Because they go hand in hand together. That's why the first commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's the great commandment. The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if there's no love for God, no relationship with God, you cannot love your neighbor. That's a biblical thing as we look at it. And when we think about this, man is in open rebellion to God. God said, don't eat the fruit. Those were God's words. God didn't say, as Eve said, don't even touch it. Don't eat it. Man openly rebelled and chose to sin against God. And today, the nature of man's sin, when you think about this, man is in open rebellion against God, and this is by our choice. It all goes back to Adam and his rebellion. There is none righteous, which chapter 3 we'll get to later. No, not one. You see, what Paul's going to do is he lays the foundation of the wrath of God the rest of chapter number 1. Then in chapter number 2, he talks about the Gentiles and Jews, and then he lays it all out in general, and then he goes into Abraham being justified by faith in chapter number 4. But he's laying a foundation for them because he's preaching the gospel to them. But the nature of man's sin, and man is ungodly by nature and by choice, letter B, the suppressing nature of man. Another sign of man's rebellion is the fact, you look at the end of verse number 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, look at this, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Another sign of man's rebellion is the fact that he knows the truth about God. It says right there, who hold the truth. They know the truth, but they hold that truth in unrighteousness. Even though he knows the truth, he holds or he suppresses, man does, the truth of God. Which leads us to point C, the stubborn nature of man. Man willfully suppresses the truth of God. Why? So that man can continue in their sin. Mankind is enslaved to sin, in bondage to sin. And this world just doesn't see it. They think they're free and they think that we're in bondage to some God. They get it all backwards. They are the ones that are slaves to sin. And the stubborn nature of man is enslaved to sin. And you think about those verses in chapter Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3. It talks about our sin and says, You hath he quickened who were dead in our trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You see, we're enslaved to it in our sin. And you got to understand, man stubbornly holds to his sin while he seeks to undermine the truth of God. Because that verse makes it clear. They hold the truth, but in unrighteousness. They know the truth. We see, number one, man's rebellion towards God. Number two, we see man's revelation of God. Revelation means a revealing or an unveiling. Like when we look at the book of Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of who Jesus truly is. But what is man's revelation of God? So think about this with me. It's a progression here. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now look at verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it unto them. Verse number 20. The Bible says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What's the truth that man suppresses or holds back? We see right here, it's the very revelation of who God himself is. You see, God has a strong desire for mankind to know him. And he's put that in every person that's ever born into this world. We could go and take, I don't think I have it there for you, but go to John with me for a minute. Hold your place here, and we'll come back here in a minute. John chapter number 1. God wants mankind to have a relationship with him and to know him. We look at John chapter number 1. We look at the, we'll go down to verse number... Um, seven, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. This is talking about John the Baptist. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, the capital L light, that's Jesus Christ. And it says, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every person that enters into this world has a little light in them. Why does God give every person a little bit of light? Because he wants them to know him. God's great desire is for mankind to have a relationship with God. So what God does is God wants us to know about him and, and to come to him personally. And to do this, God manifests himself to man in millions of ways every single day so that there's no excuse for someone to say, I didn't know there was a God because he reveals himself in so many different ways. I hear people often tell me, if God is such a loving God, why would he send someone to hell in Africa that's never heard about him. You just don't know your Bible to be asking a question like that. No one has the excuse to say they know nothing about God because God reveals himself all the time. 
He does. Every person that comes into this world is given a little light. Not enough light for salvation, but enough light to know that there's something more to life than just life and to know that there's someone who did something in this world. When we think about this and we think about man's revelation of God, we see letter A, we see the place of God's revelation. Paul says in this passage that God is revealed in them. Look at what it says in verse number 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest where? In us, in the lost, in, in humanity. It's manifested in them. You see that right there? The idea is that men have all the truth they need to come to God within themselves because he's manifested it inside of us. The truth of God is in the heart and the mind of mankind. That's what God does because he wants man to have a relationship with him. As a very young girl, Helen Keller was stricken by a disease that left her blind, deaf, and mute. A lady named Ann Sullivan, most of you know the story there, worked tirelessly and selflessly to help Helen learn to communicate. And eventually, Helen learned to communicate through touch. She even learned to talk, which was a miracle in itself. When Ann Sullivan tried to tell Helen Keller about God, the girl's response was that she already knew about him. She just didn't know his name. I think that's a great example of what I'm talking about here. All this teaches us that even without a Bible, man can come to know God because he's manifested it inside of all of us. That's hard for people to comprehend. But I praise the Lord that he reached to us, that he put that in us. It's no wonder the wrath of God, because God's done everything within his power to reach mankind, and mankind still rejects him. We see the place of God's revelation. What a Savior, what a Lord, that he would do that and put it in us. Letter B, we see the power of God's revelation. The power of God's revelation of himself lies, you think about this, in its scope. God has placed his truth all around us. The Bible backs that up. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. God's revelation of himself is so strong and so clear that every rational creature are bound to acknowledge and worship him. We see there in verse number 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. How did he show it? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Look around. Open your eyes and look in this world around us. Notice, just think with me, I'm going to give you a list of some things tonight of God's revelation on display in our world around us. Think of the fact 
that a seed, a tiny seed, can make a tree. Think of birds that are able to navigate by the stars. Even when they're raised in a windowless room and shown an artificial sky, they're able to turn themselves in the right direction. Think about the telescopes, and you look and you can see so far away. And all the stars that he knows by name and by number. Think about the fact that most scientists now believe that this massive universe came into existence at a specific instance in time. The Bible makes that very clear. Someone had to put it together. Did you know there are over 10 million species of insects in the world? 10 million? Think about this one. The earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs 6 septillion, 588 septillion tons and hangs on nothing. It spins at 1,000 miles per hour with absolute precision and, and careens through space around the sun at the speed of 1,000 miles per minute in a yearly orbit that is 580 billion miles long. Think about the head of a comet can be from 10,000 to 1 million miles long and travel at the speed of 350 miles per second. Think that the sun's radiated energy could be converted into horsepower. It would be the equivalent to 5 million, million, billion horsepower. Each second it consumes about 4 million tons of matter, the sun. Think that like from the sun travels, the light from the sun travels at 186,281 miles per second. At that rate, it would take light 125,000 years just to travel across our galaxy, and the Milky Way is just one galaxy among billions in the universe. Now imagine, how does all of that take place? Did it just happen? Was it just by chance? No way. God had to have done it. God did all of these things. God created all the things that he did to prove to mankind that he's real and that he exists great power. No wonder the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God because it takes a fool to look all around and see all that God's done and not give God the credit for it. We see that. What's the purpose of God's revelation? Let us see. The purpose of God's revelation is to force man to a moment of decision. God's desire is that every person bow before him in humility and repent and worship him as God. Therefore, God has given man all these different ways to see who God is and has left those who refuse to get right with God any excuse to stay where they're at. The Bible says there, there's no excuse. No one has an excuse. 
Someday when people stand before God at the great white throne judgment, I just didn't know, and God's going to say, you, were not, you, didn't, you don't have an excuse. I did everything within my power to give you an opportunity to come to me. I put a little bit of light in you to know that I'm real. I created everything around you so that you could know that God exists. And you rejected that. That's the problem. And the purpose of God's revelation was so that mankind could come to God. Think about this. The universe is the Lord's courtroom. He has proven without a shadow of a doubt that he exists. And those who refuse to acknowledge that are bound to punishment. We see, number one, tonight we see man's rebellion toward God. Number two, we see man's revelation of God, which leads to number three, man's rejection of God. We look at verse 21. It says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We see that man's rebellion towards God. We see that God reveals himself to man. But man's revelation of God. God makes it possible for man to know him. And then we see man's rejection of God. How? Letter A. By a reckless choice. When man has been faced with the truth of God and he makes his stand against God, he has moved into the realm of rejecting God. The rejection of God is seen in two ways in verse number 21 right here. The first way, number one, is they gave God no glory. That is, they refused to magnify and exalt God as God. Their primary goal was self-glorification. Man failed to honor God when they refused to give him the place in their life that he should be given. God deserves first place. But those who walk in rebellion and open sin or unrighteousness against God Give him no place in their life. Therefore, he's not glorified in them. And as a result, he is filled with wrath at the foolishness and the sinfulness of man. You see, the reckless choice, the first one is they gave God no glory. Number two, they gave God no gratitude. Not only do we see there in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but we see neither were thankful. Look at that. While they denied God, they took all the things that he had given man to teach man about himself, and they used it for their own selfish gains and didn't offer God any praise or any gratitude for all that he had done. That's what we see. Man rejected God. Man made a choice. 
They gave God no glory. They gave God no gratitude. But we also see the resulting condition of this. Because man rejected the Lord and His truth, mankind was given over, or men were given over, to wretched lives. Notice what the rest of the verse says. But became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Think about that with me. You know, the Lord gives, when we come into this world, come into this world He gives us all a little light. He shows us everything that He's created and lets us know there's a God that loves you and wants you. And mankind does one of two things. We say, I want that. I want to know more about it. And the Bible says the righteousness of God's revealed from faith to faith. That's how that keeps working. The opposite of that is when you see all of it and you give God no glory and say, I'm not th- I want nothing to, I'm rejecting you. You go from that light that you have and you begin to become more dark and more dark, which you'll see a progression in a couple weeks when we keep on going through this passage. You see, the resulting condition is that their life is a hallow life. It says vain imagination is used here. It means a futile existence. Those without the Lord, those that have rejected Him, they're living their life for themselves or so they think. And when you live life for yourself, you are wasting it. They filled their days with themselves, but eventually those days will end and they'll find out that they just wasted all of them. What does it mean if an accomplished man or a man accomplishes great things in life and goes to hell? The answer is he wasted his entire life. Completely wasted it. And it would have been far better for him to trust Christ. And to think about this. It would have been better for that man not to even been born. I'm a basketball fan. And my favorite, my favorite player of all time, Kobe. I do not know if he was a saved man or not. Some things in his life towards later on, maybe, maybe not. I'm not going to go there and just say. But if he was saved, praise God, and I hope that was the case. But if he wasn't, playing 20 years of basketball, five championships, being one of the greatest players in all the world means absolutely nothing. And it would have been better for him to never been born if he didn't know Christ. Because it's empty, vain, it means nothing. That's the truth. That's how it is for all of us. To live this life and to not know Christ, it's an empty, hollow life. If a man dies without Jesus, he's lost everything that's important. It's his own soul. That's what the Bible talks about in the book of Mark. 
You see their life, what's the resulting condition? The fact that there's the hollow life, but also this, there's a horrible life. This verse says that when they turn their backs on the light of God's truth, their foolish heart was darkened. What man seems not to understand is that the only alternative to light is darkness. There is no other options. As they move and as man rejects the light, the further they move into darkness. That's the progression, and that's the way that it works. This is why I say that their life is horrible. It's bad to think of the possibility of anyone going to hell without God. But add to that a life spent in this cruel world without a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. It's a horrible life. I don't get it. You know, I've done many funerals. I've done way more funerals than I've done weddings, which is, I thought it'd be the other way around, but way more funerals. And probably, who knows, it'll probably continue to be that same way. But I don't know what I'd do losing a loved one and having no hope in the Lord. What's the point? Where do you go? What happens? What a life. And as they reject the Lord, and as we look at this, that's a horrible life. To life, all those years trapped in a dark dungeon of our own making, living there, thinking you're happy, and the whole time the cancer of sin is destroying you from within, and then realizing at the end, you wasted all the opportunities you had. We see man's rejection of God which leads to man's reaction to God. Man's reaction to God. Look at verse 22 and verse 23. We're doing pretty good on time. I'm glad we got done singing early. I have a lot to go through tonight. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. We see man's reaction to God in all of this. We see letter A, he reacts in foolish regression. Professing themselves to be wise, they became foolish. When man rejects the Lord and closes his eyes from the truth of God, he really thinks he's pretty wise. His perception of himself is completely off base. Because in reality, God says that while they think they're so smart, they are nothing but fools for not trusting in the Lord. Sinners have it all backwards because the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? But to us that are saved, it's the power of God. And that's why this world wouldn't understand. You got a virus going around. Why would you go to church and sit around other church people? They think that's foolishness. They think it's foolishness to give money to God. 
but they'll go to Vegas and spend tons of money on wickedness, and that's okay. And they think that's smart. They don't get it. They don't understand. While they professing themselves to be wise, the Bible makes it clear, they became fools. And sinners have it backwards. This world thinks that we as Christians are missing out on all the pleasures of this world. They think that we place our faith in the man who died 2,000 years ago and that we're looking for him to return, but we don't have any, we don't know what we're doing with it all. But he's coming again and we're living for him because we're going to spend eternity with him and we're worshiping the one who matters. And they don't get it. This world is foolish to that. They don't get it. But man's reaction to God is when he turns and rejects God, he reacts in foolish regression. He becomes a fool. Letter B. He reacts in false religion. Look at verse 23 there. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds four-footed beasts, and creeping things. You see, when man says no to God, then he turns around and invents things to worship. Talk about foolish. What the Lord is telling us is that man is a religious creature. It's in all of us. If you don't worship God, you're going to manufacture something else to worship. That's the way we were made. That's how we're created. If that, you think about as we th- look at that, man will worship something. It always happens that way. That's what a man does when he's left to himself. And you'll notice, notice the downward spiral. You worship man, then you worship the birds, then the animals. And then the reptiles, it keeps going down the spiral there. It's just the opposite of what some people believe about evolution. You notice that when man steps away from God, he doesn't evolve, he dissolves. He doesn't progress upward, he digresses downward. All of this tends to prove the point that a life without God is a life on a downward path. Walking away from God doesn't prove that you're wise. It merely proves that you are a fool. And it proves that you want your life to be a disaster and your eternity a failure that ends in hell. It's a sad shape to be in. We look at this passage of Scripture, why the wrath of God? Well, because of man's rebellion towards God. And God has given man the truth within. And man has a choice. Do I want God or do I not want God? You choose God and the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And I will tell you this. I believe that any person living anywhere in the world at any given moment, if they want a relationship with God, they will find God. And not the God of their choice. Because there are some people, well, 
this Hindu worships their God, but they've never heard of the true God, and they don't know Jesus. So how could they? So maybe their God and Jesus, it's the same sort of thing, just a different way. No, because there's only one way to get to heaven. It's through Jesus. There is no other way. And God has given the truth to us. He's revealed it. It's in us. Man has a choice. Do I want it? Do I acknowledge him? Or do I not acknowledge him? You acknowledge him, and more is going to be revealed, and that light's going to shine a little brighter, a little brighter. You're going to get the word of God. You will get saved over time, and you'll be a light. Where the opposite happens, you say, I see all this. God didn't do that. I'm not going to give him any credit for anything. I don't want anything to do with that God. And things get a little darker. And things get a little darker. And then man starts spiraling out of control. It's the wickedness of man. If you reject God, and your life without the Lord, it's an awful life. And man's reaction, we see it right here in this passage before our eyes. And as we look here, there back there in verse number 23, we see they changed the Lord. Man reacts in a foolish way. They're not wise, they're foolish. And it starts a downward spiraling path. And we'll see as we continue studying through here, as we get down towards the end where the Bible says, the Bible says here that God gives them over to a reprobate mind. Because you don't want him, he's not going to force himself on you. And the more you spiral out of control, there will come a point where God says, I'm done trying. And that will happen. Something we as Christians need to remember, and I'll talk more about this when we get to this in a couple weeks. There are a lot of Christians out there that will say, well, homosexuals are reprobates. We see that's a progression, the homosexuality and things, and we'll talk about that more. But God, over time, gives someone over to a reprobate mind. It's not my job to decide and to call people the reprobate. It's my job to get the gospel to them. And if they won't respond to the gospel, they might have been given over to that reprobate mind. But that's not my job to figure out. My job is to give the gospel to everyone. And don't ever forget that. But why the wrath of God? Because God's done everything within his power to reveal himself to man. And man says, you know what, God? I don't want you. I'm not thankful for you. I'm going to do it my way. I'll create my own God. I'm my own God whatever the case may be. That's where the wrath of God, the reasons for it, we saw tonight. And next week, we'll continue on from there. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Romans.